Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Father, we just want to thank you and bless you for your word. Thank you because the entrance of your word brings light. Thank you because your word sets free, breaks yokes, lifts burdens. Thank you because your word encourages. Thank you because your word chastises. We ask that all this will be ours and more in Jesus' name. And together we say, Amen and Amen. Amen. Well, we um, a few weeks ago, I, I, I preached part one of this message, uh, Keep Shooting the Arrows. Um, and today, we just want to bring it to a close um, as we preach uh, part two of the message. And if you want a title for part two, it's The Arrows of Prayer. Um, I'll read our text uh, to bring it back um, to your minds, um, in case some of us have forgotten. Um, and if you, if you didn't hear part one of the message, I'd encourage you to, to do so. Thankfully, these things are online and, and made very easy for us. Um, 2 Kings, the 13th chapter, um, 2 Kings, the 13th chapter, verses 14 to 19. That's our foundation text. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha, Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance, and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Then he said, Take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Very interesting story. Um, Eli Elisha, God has used him mightily and he has become sick. And you remember in the first uh, part of this, we spoke about God's ways. Um, you wouldn't imagine that a man who has been used so mightily by God would, would end up with sickness and die from the sickness. But as if to, to tell us that I do exactly what I want in heaven, uh, you, you, you remember the, the, the next part of the story? Um, Elisha is buried, and uh, they are going to bury a man and the Moabites attack in their panic. They throw the man's body. Um, and they throw it and it falls on Elisha's tomb, falls on Elisha's bones. And Elisha, who died of a sickness, 
that God didn't heal him of had enough anointing left in his bones after his body had started decaying to bring a dead man back to life. I think that's one of the places in the Bible where God makes us understand that I'm God, I sit in heaven, and I do exactly as I please. Uh, but we, we, uh, the, the story that Elisha says to the king, uh, Joash, um, take a bow and some arrows. And then he asks him to open the window and shoot the, bow, the, the arrow. Um, and he does that. Um, and he declares the arrow of the Lord's de- deliverance from Syria. And then instructs him to strike the Syrians. Um, and he strikes three times. Now, all my Christian life, I had thought that he took the arrow and struck the ground. Um, and I think I might have preached it as well. But I found out as I did some studying that it really wasn't that. That what he meant strike the ground was keep shooting the arrows. And as the arrows fly and land, they strike the ground. So it wasn't like he took the arrows physically and started to hit the ground. Um, and you know, when we did the first part, we spoke about a few things. We, we spoke about the role leaders play in our lives to guide us, how Elisha put his hand on his hand. We spoke about how God wants to use you. Uh, we spoke about um, um, how Joash was distraught with Elisha going because his focus was on Elisha, and he didn't realize Elisha was using God. Um, we also spoke, of course, about the role the Holy Spirit plays. But in part two, which I have titled The Arrows of Prayer, um, I want to speak about that story being a very powerful metaphor for prayer. Um, if, if there's one thing that story teaches us, it is what it says to us about prayer. Uh, the shooting of the arrows were, were are symbolic of the prayers that are released by the children of God. So five things we want to share, and I hope they bring some instruction to us. The first thing was the clear instruction from the man of God to, to, to the king to take a bow. He says to the king, take a bow. Now, what that tells us is that God can do whatever he wants. He's God. But he has chosen to work with men and women to bring his plans and purposes to pass. And in the place of prayer, it is so clear that this is God's plan to partner with you and I in the place of prayer to bring his plans to pass. He says to him, take a bow. The result of, this, of, of his actions is going to affect the nation and the nations. Millions are going to be affected. But God goes to one man and says through the prophet to the man, take a bow. What am I saying to you? The plans of God depend on you and I. Not a corporate entity but on you and I. You have a part to play. God is saying to someone this morning, take a bow. In Fresh Fire, and incidentally, if if you don't come for Fresh Fire, I would encourage you to to do so. We pray from 9 o'clock till 9.45. It's intense praying. And the testimonies are amazing and will even be more amazing. So if you can spare the time, whether you're at the hub or or in the base here, then please 
try and come for Fresh Fire at 9 o'clock. In Fresh Fire, I, I shared a story with them. Genesis 32, 24 to 31. Take a bow, God says. Genesis 32, 24 to 31. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. I just wanted to say to you that there are prayers you pray corporately, but there are prayers that you will have to pray alone with God. Thank God for the pastors, the head of the prayer ministry, and the many pastors who are praying for you. Thank God for the many prayer platforms that we join that, that now proliferate. Thank God for the overseers who we are rushing to to pray for us, the vicars, the bishops, the archbishops. But believe me, there comes a time when you must be alone with God. It is you and God in prayer. Can someone say amen? Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. I found that instructive, that it wasn't Jacob who instituted what was about to happen. It was God who came to wrestle with Jacob. God knew that for what I want to do with this boy's, this man's life, I need him to wrestle with me in the place of prayer and prevail. And so God instigated what we're about to read. Now, when he saw, God, that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Thank God that Jacob refused to let go. Thank God that Jacob held on in the place of prayer. And maybe I'm speaking to someone saying, God is saying to you, hold on in the place of prayer. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, Jacob, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. He understood, Jacob, that this was a life-changing moment in prayer. He held on to God. Despite the pain of a dislocated hip, and that pain of a dislocated hip could be anything from the, the time it takes, the effort it takes. Let no one kid you that prayer does not take effort, does not take time, does not involve discipline. It does and more. There is effort that is put in, a commitment that is necessary. It dislocated his hip, the effort of the prayer. He had a mark on him that showed, I have wrestled with God. And then when that happened, God now says to him, your, your, your prayer is answered. Your name shall no longer be Jacob. I've changed everything concerning you. Your name shall now be Israel. First thing I wanted to say is, God is calling each one of us to that place of prayer. Thank God for the corporate prayers, 21 days of pursuit of God, and all the many other things. But now God is speaking to you and saying, I want to transact spiritual business with you in the place of prayer. For your life, for your family, for the church, for the nation, and for the nations. Can someone say amen? Number two, apparently it was an ancient custom to shoot an arrow or cast a spear into the country where an army 
intended to invade. The spear, the arrow, or the dart that was thrown signified the commencement of hostilities with that country. So this wasn't a strange thing in their culture, apparently. Apparently, before you started a war, you would shoot an arrow or you would cast a spear or throw a dart into the country that you intended to engage in hostilities. And that's exactly what the, the man of God asked the king to do. But the pronouncement the man of God made tells us a bit more about this arrow that was thrown. That it was not a physical arrow, that it had deep spiritual significance. For when he throws, when he shoots the arrow, the man of God declares the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. He declares that this arrow you've shot is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. It's the arrow of deliverance from Syria. As a metaphor for prayer, what was he saying? He was saying that your actions will bring certain results. Your prayers will bring certain results. Jesus' teaching on prayer makes us understand one thing. That prayer is not an exercise in itself about which we congratulate ourselves. That prayer is not a badge that we wear and say I was at a vigil and, 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 and we congratulate ourselves. That the whole essence of prayer is a reward. And until we get the reward, we haven't finished the assignment. The reward for the shooting of that arrow was the deliverance of Israel from Syria. And so, until that deliverance came, the arrows must keep being shot. You know, one of my favorite scriptures, taken out of James 5, verse 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man of like passions with us. Elijah prayed, and there was not a drop of rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed. And the heavens opened. I love the message translation of that scripture. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. <laughs> Elijah, for instance, human like, just like us, prayed hard that it wouldn't rain. And it didn't. Not a drop. For three and a half years. Then he prayed that it would rain. And it did. The showers came. And everything started growing again. The Bible makes it clear. Your prayers matter. My prayers matter. The enemy tries to play games with us. To make us feel that they are generals of intercession who God has particularly graced for intercession. And so we flock to those generals hoping that they can open the heavens on our behalf or lock up the heavens on our behalf. Aren't you tired of following people who can do it? Don't you want to do it yourself? I said, don't feed me with fish that you caught. Teach me to fish. And that surely is the message of the Bible. The Bible takes easily one of the 
greatest examples of an intercessor. And the Bible says to us, you are like him. Elijah was a man just like you. If Elijah was alive today, he'd be trying to pay a mortgage. He'd be trying to save in his ISA. He'd miss a, a train or a bus with all the anointing he carries. He would worry about the cost of living. At least he would think about it, if not worry. He would be dealing with all the stuff we're dealing with. The Bible says he was a man of like passion. He would wake up some days on the wrong side of the bed. I not really know what is wrong. Why, 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 why do I feel so out of sorts? But with all that humanity in him, the Bible says that he prayed and there was no rain for three and a half years. One of the men of God of old who I admire put it this way. Elijah locked up the heavens, put the key in his pocket and went away for three and a half years. And when he was done, God's plans were finished. Elijah came back, unlocked the heavens, and rain fell. You can do that. I can do that. That's God's plan. It's not for a select few. It's for you and I to exercise the same power in the place of prayer. Can someone say amen? And the key, the Bible says, is living right. It says the prayer of a person living right with God. Is something powerful. So why is a lot of the prayer weak? Because a lot of us are not living right if we are truthful. A lot of us can't say we are living right with God. We are disobedient. We are negligent with his things. We are careless with his things. Frivolous with his things. You know, for a lot of the church today, another man of God who I admire put it this way, that prayer is like a fire escape. We're always looking for an emergency so we can escape in prayer. It's supposed to be a lifestyle. Because the truth is that if there's one message the Bible gives us, it is that God wants to answer your prayer and my prayer. It, you cannot read the Bible without coming to that conclusion. Call unto me, he says in Jeremiah 33, verse 3, and I will answer and show you great and mighty things. He divides the responsibilities there. He says, you call, I will answer. So, let us not be negligent in calling. Because we know he will never be negligent in answering. Perchance, the reason the answering is not the way we want is because there are not many callers. So today, commit yourself to being a caller. Call, he says. It's almost like he's saying, test me. Call unto me. And then let me answer and show you great and mighty things. And you know, the assurances the Bible gives us about prayer. You know, when you read the Bible and genuinely read it, you're left in no doubt that if the church is praying, 
this thing won't be how it is. The, the boldness of the assurances that come from God about us praying and what will happen in, 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 in what we call the golden rule of prayer, Matthew 7, verse 7 to 11. Listen to what he says. He says, ask and it will be given, period. And those who understand these things in the, the, the original language say it's a, it's a continuous tense. Keep asking. That's, that's all he says. It's a word of God. If you want to take Psalm 91 and believe Psalm 91, believe this one too. Ask and it will be given. So some of us should be saying, God, I'm asking. I expect it, it is going to be given. I'm asking according to your word. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. And those who understand these things tell us that it actually speaks of a progression. If you ask and they're not giving, then you better start seeking. And, and if you don't find, then you better start knocking. And knock until the door is open. And then he makes this bold statement. For everyone, someone say with me, everyone. Go on, say it boldly if you're in the base. Go on, in the hub, let's hear you say everyone. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone. So except you've put yourself out of everyone, then we should be saying, God, I'm going to ask until I receive. He says, and he who seeks, finds. And to, whom who, to him who knocks, it will be opened. An assurance from God. And then as if to drive home the point. And that's what he does. He could have ended there, but he drives home this truth of a God who wants to answer our prayers. He says, so what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? He says, we are human beings. We're, we have our frailties. We have our failings. We have our issues. Are dysfunctions. He said, but as dysfunctional as you all are, if your son asks for a bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? He says, if you then, being evil, being dysfunctional as we are, being human, being mortal, know how to give good gifts to your children, please, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? Ask! Number three. The man of God says to the king, open the east window. <laughs> the man of God could have opened the window himself. But it was necessary for the king to open the window because the opening of the window was an act of faith. So the instruction from the man of God, the prophet Elisha, to the king was to help the faith of the king. Because when you read the scriptures... In 1 Kings 20, verses 26 to 30. And let me read that to you. 1 Kings 20, 26 to 30. So it was in the spring of the year that Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians 
and went to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were mustered and given provisions, and they went against them. Now the children of Israel encamped before them like two, flocks, like two little flocks of goats, while the Syrians filled the countryside. Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said the Lord is the God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore, I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And they encamped opposite each other for seven days. So it was that on the seventh day, the battle was joined, and the children of Israel killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day, but the rest fled to Aphek into the city. Then a wall fell on 27,000 of the men who were left, and Ben-Hadad fled and went into the city into an inner chamber. Why was the instruction to open the windows towards the east significant in building faith? Because, of course, eastward was Syria, and particularly eastward was a town called Aphek. Now, as king, he knew that when Ahab was king before him, Ahab had defeated the Syrians at Aphek. And it was a very notable victory. Because the Bible records that the Syrians were multitudes. The Israelites looked like two little flocks of goats. But when God fought for them, the two little flocks of goats killed a hundred thousand of the Syrians. And the Syrians fled and a wall fell on 27,000 to, to drive home the point. So what was the man of God saying to him? He was saying, remember the God that delivered your nation at Aphek. That God that delivered your nation at Aphek is the same God that you're praying to. I need to tell someone... Remember the God that took you through. Because sometimes we forget what God has done when we come to another situation, another circumstance, another prayer that we need to be answered. And someone here needs to cast their minds back and remember what God has taken them, their family through. And that the God who did it yesterday has not changed today. Someone needs to read their Bible and situate their Bible in 21st century London or Nigeria or Ghana or Zimbabwe or wherever you are. And know that the God who took a nation through the Red Sea and made sure they didn't get their feet muddy is the same God that you're praying today. Someone needs to read the Bible. And remember that the God they are believing God for something for the God they are believing for something today is the same God that turned the laws of science upside down or right side up and brought water out of the rock. Someone needs to remember that the God they are praying to is the God who caused the sun to stand still so that their son, his son, can win victory. Someone needs to remember. That the God that they are praying to today is the God who said to Hannah, you will have Samuel. And not just Samuel, there will be many others that will follow because I am God. Someone needs to remember that the God that they are praying to today is the God who went to a virgin and told the virgin, you haven't slept with a man. 
There has been no sexual relationship. My spirit will come upon you. You will have a child and that child will be savior. Someone needs to remember as they read their Bible that the Bible is not an ancient text but is a relevant book for today that tells of the God that we serve. So he said to him, open the east window and shoot towards Aphek so that you can remember that the God that wrought that mighty deliverance. Someone needs to hear, remember some of our testimonies in this church. The children that should not have been born. The people that should not be alive. The testi- Someone needs to go into the history of Jesus' house. How many remember the day we were about to be ejected and we are sitting in a service? I've received a letter that tells us that if we don't find 36,000 pounds 30 years ago, a church of 200 odd people, mostly immigrants, and most of them very well qualified, but most of them flipping buggers and driving cabs. Because they are sitting exams that they need to convert to be able to do their work. How many remember that? And we are sitting in a service. And I've said to them, if we don't find 36,000, which, where are we going to find it? We are out of here. And the gentleman who flew in from Nigeria and came straight from the airport to church. Because I, we, we knew him in Nigeria. And he just wanted to worship with us for the first time. As I made that announcement that we better just pray because if 36,000, 36,000, 36, 30 years, I mean now 36,000, some of you can give us 36,000. Then you couldn't give us three pounds and 60, three pounds 60p. I, I used to see the offering. You couldn't. You couldn't. The church was your welfare. We were giving you from what we didn't even have. Only for me to sit down and the man leans over. And says to our accountant then, tell pastor not to worry about that thing. Him and Doc are seeing me in the afternoon. I'll give them a check for 36000 Someone needs to remember. Of course, I came and told the church. I couldn't wait to get the check. The service, Corridor's service management went out of the window. Praise and worship started again. Someone needs to remember. Number four, the king, talking about windows, before I go on to number four. You know, when they told Daniel that if you don't worship this thing, this thing that we've built, they'll throw you into the lion's den. What did Daniel do? (laughs) Daniel went to his home. The Bible says the upper room. And he opened the windows towards Jerusalem. And then he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed. And gave thanks before his God. As was his custom, the Bible says. Daniel 6 verse 10. He just did what he had always done. You know, when you live a life of prayer and thanksgiving, when the shaking comes, you don't shake. You don't change. That's one thing I've learned from my pastor, Dr. Onuzo. I've just never seen him shaking. And there are things that, at least, that I've brought to him 
that should shake him. When the thing shakes me, then I, I take it to him. And his response is always the same. You see, that's the way it should be. They told Daniel, they say, you are dead. <laughs> Daniel, say, how am I going to die? Those lions were feeding you to them. He said, really? Say, okay. Say, where are you going? He said, I'm going home. He said, we're feeding you to the lions. He says, okay, I'm going home. What do you think Daniel was thinking? Let me go and talk to the people who made lions. You're irrelevant in this matter. So he gets home. No panic. Can you see that our Christianity is, is, is challenged? Hey, pastor, have you heard? Hey, pastor, they say the witch in the village is coming. They say her name is Oporompompompompom. She's coming. Hey, pastor, call intercessory meeting, intercessory meeting. Please, pastor, pastor, have you not heard? They say everybody's dying. Intercessory meeting. That's, that's, the, that's the level of our Christianity. So the demons are laughing. That somebody does not know who they are. Somebody does not know who is behind them. Somebody does not know that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a prince, a king. You don't control anything. And you definitely don't control life and death. So let me go and discuss. That was that, what Daniel was saying. With the people who matter. So he gets there. And in, a, in an act of faith, he opens his window towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem was 550 miles away. He could not see it with his eyes across the Arabian desert. But he knew that this God who dwells in Jerusalem, at least then physically, that temple that is there, then physically, now is even better for us. He dwells everywhere, including in us. Can you imagine what they must think in heaven? What are you shaking about? The people controlling the thing are inside you. I can't pay my mortgage, Pastor. Please fast. I say, I cannot fast for your mortgage. Please. With all these things we are talking about for your mortgage, I say, I, I Aguiruku, will not fast for your mortgage. But let's just pray two sentences and go. Your mortgage is the list of heaven's problems. They say the silver and the gold are theirs, the cattle on a thousand hills is his. Ah, what's your mortgage? 5,000 pounds you're shaking? Give me a break. They say an angel is killing 185,000 people in one night. What is your mortgage? The angel can build the whole house in two hours. And Daniel prays. Three times the Bible says he prays. And the Bible says he prays as was his custom since early days. You don't build a storm shelter in the midst of a storm. It's very difficult. That's what happens to us. The storm is now raging. We are trying to knock nails into the wood. It's very difficult. Wind is blowing. Rain is falling. Everything is raging. That's how unfortunately we are. You build the storm shelter before the storm. So when the storm comes, you walk with grace and dignity into the shelter, as was his custom since early days. Number four. The king missed a strategic moment. And this is how heaven works. Strategic moments. My prayer for us 
is that we will not miss a strategic moment, a season of response. Because heaven is not disorganized. Everything is working according to plans. So the, 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 I love this scripture. Genesis 15, verse 12 to 16. As the sun was going down, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. This scripture is really uh, a scripture about a covenant-keeping God and a God who makes covenants. So God had just made a covenant with him. And he fell into a deep sleep. And a terrifying darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come out Come away with great wealth. As for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land. For the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. You know, when I read that scripture, there is no kind of prayer meeting that was going to make it happen before four generations. That's why our prayers have to align with God's plans and purposes. In Jeremiah 29, God told them, don't worry, it's still about 70 years. So build your house, plant your fields, marry, because this thing you're praying for is another 70 years. And God said, the reason I'm not going to move before four generations is because I need something to move. I'm just and fair. So these people have not sinned enough. The cup is not full. So Abraham, tell your people to relax for 400 years until the cup is full. And then he says to Abraham, I mean, you know, these are the things that we pray God will tell us. He says, you know, deep secrets. He says to Abraham, and don't worry, you're going to die at a ripe old age. The Bible says, in Psalms 25, verse 14. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. <laughs> I like the Passion Translation. There is a private place reserved for the lovers of God, where they sit near him and receive the revelation secrets of his promises. There's a place you get to where God whispers things to you that he doesn't tell others. So he tells Abraham, don't worry, you're going, you're going to die at a ripe old age. How many know that if wizards came, witches came, the accidents came, Abraham is just laughing because he's saying, God told me that is a ripe old age. This is not a ripe old age yet. The king missed a strategic moment. A time to respond because everything had aligned in the heavens. That's how it works. That's why the Bible says, pray without ceasing. Because we don't know. There's a phrase Bajo, Bajo, Pastor Bajo uses, the tipping point. We don't know when the tipping point will be. So let's keep praying. If God does not tell us, then we stay in the place of prayer. Because at some point, there will be a tipping point. I want to say to someone, it will come to pass. It has to come to pass. If God said it in your life, it will come to pass. In your family, it will come to pass. There's a plan. And lastly, number five. 
Have you wondered about the anger of the man of God with King Joash? He says, strike the ground. What he expected was that the king should take the arrows and keep shooting them, shooting them, shooting them. But somehow the king shoots three and thinks in his mind, that's enough. And he stops and the man explodes in anger. What was his anger? You missed the moment. Oh God, you missed the moment. That would have been the end of Syria. Now you've, you're only going to get three victories. Syria will rise again. One of the challenges we face as the church is that we don't have the spirit of longevity. We don't hold on in prayer. And I speak to myself as well. We don't tarry in prayer. We are not like Anna who waited and waited until she saw what she waited for. May God give us the grace to hold on in prayer, the grace to tarry in prayer, the grace to persevere in prayer, the grace not to give up in prayer, the grace to hold on in prayer. May Jesus' house, may we be a people who are known for holding on in prayer. May we be like a bulldog when we bite our teeth into the thing. We are not letting go until this flesh comes out with us. Jesus said to his disciples, Luke 18 verse 1, the Passion Translation. One day Jesus taught the apostles, the Bible says, to keep praying and never stop or lose hope. The Bible says he shared with them this illustration. And you know the illustration he shared? The widow, the hard judge, the adversary. It's a picture of our lives. The widow was chosen because she was the symbol of the weakest. Nobody to speak for her. She didn't understand the decorum of, court, of the court. But one thing she had, no one could take from her, her voice. You might not understand the dynamics of prayer. When you hear some people talk about prayer, I've, I've been in some places, some people talk about prayer. By the time they finish, I'm intimidated and I'm confused. Ah, that this thing is deep. It can only be for a few people. This thing they spoke about, they talk about mountains, they climbed, the angels, they saw seven angels, fire that fell. And I'm thinking, I wake up sometimes, I'm tired, I start praying and I fall asleep. I said, this, this kind of prayer is not for people like us. But one thing they have, and one thing I have, is a voice. And one thing they have, and one thing I have, is that the curtain has been torn in two. So as they go, they should not tell me that it's only them, that they are the high priests. There's no high priest anymore. Anybody who tells you he's a high priest on this earth has a problem. The only high priest that the New Testament church knows is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That high priest is an Old Testament religion. So they shouldn't tell me. The only problem is that I, I didn't get up to go. So now that I know, me too, I'm going. You raise your voice, I raise my voice. That's what the widow said. I have a voice. So she raised her voice. They give me justice against my adversary. The judge woke up. Who is that woman shouting? There's a widow. He ignored her. The man had no feelings. Didn't care about a widow. She should get, get lost. He got into his chariot. Who was waiting by his chariot? 
The widow, give me justice against my adversary. He says, who is this woman? He says, that same widow that started at 5 a.m. Says she's still calling. Said to the chariot, move. Let's go to my chambers. He got to his chambers, settled down to look at the day's judgment. He heard, give me justice again. He said, who is that woman? He says, that widow. She's at, the, at your window. She's not going anywhere. The man said, I don't really care about God or care about her. But this woman is going to drive me nuts. I better give her what she wants so that this voice does not follow me home tonight. The woman who didn't understand decorum, the protocol to approach a judge, she got what she wanted from a hard judge. God says, how much more? You're not a widow in that sense. And even if you're physically a widow, you are a princess who's a widow. You are the daughter of a king who's a widow. Your father is the king. The blood of Jesus was shed for you. The widow didn't have all that and neither did she have the Holy Spirit in her. So we're not the same. And God is not an unjust judge who has no feelings. No. If there's anything that defines God, it is the phrase, God is love. So Jesus says, if you understand this, keep praying. Keep shooting the arrows. And I end on this note with what he says. Verses 7 and 8 of Luke 18. Don't you know that God, the true judge, will grant justice to all of his chosen ones who cry out to him night and day. That's the problem. We don't cry out night and day. We cry out maybe on Sunday at fresh fire. And that does not qualify as night and day. It's simple grammar. It's not complicated. He will pour out his spirit upon them. He will not delay to answer you. That's a good place for someone who received that to say amen. amen. And give you what you ask for. God will give swift justice to those who don't give up. So, be ever praying, ever expecting, just like the widow was with the judge. Yet when the Son of Man comes back, will he find this kind of persistent faithfulness in his people? The Bible says this, this is the challenge. This kind of persistent faithfulness that says, I'm not going to let go. God answers prayers. I'm going to cry out day and night. I will get the reward of this prayer. And as I end, the reward of prayer, it's a very interesting reward. When you pray, you actually get two things. You get the answer to your prayer. But more importantly, anybody who has been on a prayer journey with God will tell you that you get God and more of God. And that's the beauty of prayer. That you went into this place of prayer, traveling over this issue. And God does answer. But when you come out, you're a different person because you've got more of God, more understanding of him more faith in him can someone say amen to that father we thank you and bless you now with all heads bowed the bible tells us a story of an incident in a garden 
You can't talk about prayer without remembering that incident where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ travailed in prayer, praying the same prayer in such agony that a medical condition that is very rare kicked in. And doctors say this happens in the rarest of circumstances where you are in such travail that your body starts to secrete blood instead of sweat. That's the extent of his travail, the extent that he went. And he, he did all this as he wrestled with the price that was going to be paid on a cross. He was going to die a horrific death. And even him, suddenly in his humanity, didn't want to go to that cross. But he knew enough to say, not my will, but yours. And he went to the cross, died the horrific death. And why did he do that? Just so that he could take on our sins and we could be free. What an amazing gift. Hence, it can only be the enemy that somebody does not receive this gift. And so with all heads bowed in the base at the hub online. If you haven't received this gift, remember the price that was paid in prayer for it. And then remember the price that was paid to get the gift to give us. You haven't accepted this gift that is salvation. This is a strategic moment for your future. With all heads bowed. You want to, you're in the base, slip your hand up. You want to receive this gift. Take advantage of the open window. Seize this strategic moment. Slip your hands up wherever you are. Go and slip it high up in the base. In the hub, slip your hands up. If you're in the hub, you want to receive this gift. You haven't received this gift of salvation. You don't know for certain that you have. Slip your hands up. And online, if you would indicate the hosts and hostesses will tell you. I see that hand. Keep it high. Keep it high. Anybody else? I see that hand. Anybody else? Just keep that hand high for a minute. Um, I see that hand. Keep it high. I need some, some of our ministers to go around because time. I'm not going to call people out. Right behind you. I need a minister. Ayo. Anybody else in the hub? Keep that hand high. In the hub, Pastor Joseph and Pastor Kane, they will sort out the ministration there. Anybody else? Anybody else? Go on, slip that hand high. Father, we thank you. The minister is going to come to you. They'll talk to you at some point. They, they might ask you to step out with them. Please do. If you're in the base, if you're online, uh, please just follow the instructions of the hosts. Father, we just thank you and we bless you. And as they lead you in prayer, I join my faith with, their, with them to welcome you into God's family. We give you all the praise and glory. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. We thank you, Lord, for a garment of prayer. Let a garment of prayer rest upon each one of us. And if you, have, if you feel a stirring in your heart to receive the garment of prayer, you feel a stirring to go deeper in the place of prayer, if you're in the hub or in the base, can you rise to your feet? I want to pray specially for you. 
rise to your feet. You feel that stirring, that this, this is a call of God on my life to go to the place of prayer. Rise to your feet wherever you are. Thank you, Lord. In the hub, rise to your feet. There's a, there's a call to a deeper place of prayer, a call to a place of intercession. Rise to your feet. Father, we thank you. We bless you. And online, if you feel that, that call, if you can just indicate in the chats online, as we release that a spirit, the Spirit of God to stir us up into new depths and dimensions of prayer that we might be used by God to fulfill His purposes. Father, we thank you and we bless you. Go on, if you're standing, will you cup your hand before you? Cup your hand as if you want to receive something. Cup your hand before you. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. Cup your hand at the hub. We bless you. Almighty and everlasting God, we thank you. And we bless you. Spirit of the living God, we can't pray effectively without you. <laughs> we know not what to pray. And we know not how to pray. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, for your children. They've indicated their helplessness in standing. But their desire to be used by you in the place of prayer. That they might pray your plans for their lives, their families. For this church, Jesus' house. For the church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For this nation and the nations into pass. Lord, what we cannot do ourselves, we look to you to do. And so I ask Heavenly Father for a spirit, a garment of prayer to rest upon every one of your children who desires it in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, let their lives, O oh God, be set on fire for you in the place of prayer. May they have testimonies of answered prayers that will encourage others. Father, I commit them into your hands as arrows that you will shoot into the kingdom of darkness. The same way that King Joash shot that arrow. Shoot them, Heavenly Father, into the heart of the enemy. Use them, O oh God, to devastate the kingdom of darkness. Raise them as part of an army of intercessors that will bring to pass your plans and your purposes, Heavenly Father. Father, we thank you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In the hub at Greenwich, Spirit of the living God, rest upon those who are standing. Their hands are cupped to indicate that they receive your Spirit, Heavenly Father. Rest upon those who are here at the base. Rest upon those who are online who desire Father, to pray like they've never prayed before. And Father, we thank you for the reward of prayer, the answered prayers, and more of you. We give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. And together we say, Amen. Please never say Amen in a weak way. Amen is a lockdown for prayer. Amen means so be it. It lines up with God's word. So the people of God say, Amen. amen.